The Keys to Lost podcast is brought to you today by SidePal. SidePal provides dynamic speaking characters to interact with your web clients. Visit us today at www.sidepal.com. Keys to Lost is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all of your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com. Dude. 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 Keys to Lost. Hey, Leslie, you know who that is in the background? Um, I bet I could guess. Who do you think it is? I think it might be Don Weber. It is Don Weber and Treble Cliff Palette. They're in the background of today. Uh, that is a local St. Louis band, a great funk, jazz, soul kind of group uh, with Don Weber on trumpet and vocals. And uh, it's, the group is actually headed up by Mark Thomas. The drummer uh, yeah. used to be with, uh, I believe, Naked Groove. Was that who they were? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Might have been. Before anyway, a fantastic group. So if you want to buy, if you hear anything here in the background that you like and you want to buy that record from them, I would suggest going to treblecleftpalette.com, treblecleftpalette.com in order to order that CD. Yeah. Good stuff. So you're back. Hi, how Hi, are you? I'm back. I'm back from upstate That's New York. That's Leslie Sanazaro-Santi over there on that microphone, and I'm Matt Murdick, and we want to welcome you to Keys to Lost, a podcast dedicated to ABC Television's Lost, hosted from a musician's perspective. We hope that everybody had a great holiday season, and we want to thank everybody for their holiday wishes and cards and all of that good stuff. I want to thank Leslie for my fabulous Christmas gifts that she gave me. She gave me a back scratcher and a blanket. I really like them both. Awesome. I want to say thanks, Matt, for the Season 5 DVDs. <laughs> ah, I got her the Season 5 DVDs. That was cool. Yeah. So we're back to work. We're back yeah. to doing things and, and everything. We're all playing and we're all podcasting and everything. And speaking of podcasts, I want to tell you, uh, uh, guys, I, I made a promise to, to Jack who is Crackpot Jack on Twitter. Uh, but Jack from the Lost Podcast with Jay and Jack, I made a promise that I would plug this each and every week up until the time that they came, uh, until the podcast comes to fruition. They do a 25-hour marathon podcast. 
Oh my uh, gosh! One weekend in in March, uh, every year, and it benefits Autism Speaks. Very、um, cool. This year, the weekend will be、uh, March twentieth and twenty first, and so be sure to. I think they、uh, do it over UStream or something like that, and so be sure to check out that live podcast. And you're going to want to bring your wallets because that's a, a a great benefit. Also, you know, the Autism Speaks is a, is a great charity, and they do that every year for them. Nice job, guys. Yeah, and they're also they're going to go to Hawaii. They're going to get Ooh, to go to Hawaii for the for the, for the premiere for the sun Ooh, the sunset season premiere, and and of course Ryan and Jen from the transmission are going to be there、uh, too. You know, of course, and they're hosting all kinds of like tours of lost locations and everything because you know Ryan knows where everything is on that island. Uh, in、That's、terms of the、so、filming,、awesome. and he usually knows more about what's going on than he ever lets anybody else know. So Hugo, it's so cool to do an episode on Hugo. It is. Hugo is so awesome. Who doesn't love Hugo? Everybody loves Hugo. <laughs> so why don't we go ahead and get into the Lostpedia info? Let's do it. Character synopsis. Lostpedia info. Well, we've got a name, Hugo Reyes, also known as Hurley. Why? He's not saying. <laughs> When was he born, Les? February twenty third, nineteen seventy seven. And his point of origin, the place where he's originally from, is Miami, Florida. Of course, his family moved to Santa Monica, California, shortly thereafter. His professions have included a chef、um, at the Dharma Initiative. He has also been an employee at Mr. Cluck's Chicken Shack.、Um, as well, he,、uh, after winning the lottery, became a business owner and investor. He was in Australia to find the origin and meaning of the numbers,、uh, and he was on the plane to return for his mother's birthday. His family members are、uh, Tito Reyes was his grandfather, David Reyes was his is his father, Carmen Reyes is his mother, Diego Reyes is his brother. And Lisa Reyes is his former sister-in-law. Centric episodes include from season one, Numbers and Exodus Part Two; season two, Everybody Hates Hugo and Dave; season three, Trisha Tanaka is dead; season four, Beginning of the End and There's No Place Like Home; and season five, The Lie and the Incident Part Two. Hugo is portrayed by Jorge Garcia. And here is the Lostpedia character synopsis. Hugo Reyes, more commonly known by his nickname Hurley, is one of the middle section survivors of Oceanic Flight 815. Hurley's father disappeared when he was 10 and did not return until 17 years had passed. After his father's disappearance, Hurley developed an eating disorder, and after a traumatic accident, he was sent to a mental asylum where he started seeing an imaginary person. Ever since, he has changed and has been extremely conscious of his sanity and how people view him. When Hurley won the lottery, he was not overjoyed. Instead, he was fearful that his life was going to change. Ever since winning the lottery with the mysterious numbers, he has searched for an answer for the curse of bad luck that supposedly plagues him. On the island, Hurley is typically happy-go-lucky and keeps the spirits of his fellow survivors up. 
He's also the voice of reason in the group and uses common sense to solve difficult situations. Eventually, Hurley found out he could not escape the numbers and after seeing them on the side of the hatch, knew that opening it was a bad idea. After struggling with being given the task of dividing up the food in the hatch and seeing his old imaginary friend on the island, he was eventually captured by the others along with Jack, Kate, and Sawyer as part of Michael's betrayal, but was just released to go back and warn the other survivors not to come for them. Once back at the camp, Hurley found an old Dharma van and got it started again, with the help of Charlie, Sawyer, and Jen, restoring his and the rest of the survivors' optimism. After Charlie died and Jack called the freighter for rescue, Hurley and five other survivors managed to escape the island by using a helicopter, although they were forced to leave everyone else behind when Ben moved the island. Hurley tried to carry on happily with his life until he began seeing visions of the late Charlie off-island. Eventually, he was readmitted to the Santa Rosa Mental Institute and conversed with Charlie, along with other deceased people, causing his mental state to deteriorate. He was removed from Santa Rosa by Saeed and taken to a safe house where he was mistaken for a murderer and was arrested by L.A. policemen. Hurley was found innocent and released from prison where he was convinced by a man to return to the island. He boarded a Jera Flight 316 and was flashed to 1977 where he worked as a chef for the Dharma Initiative. After the detonation of Jughead by Juliet, his fate is currently unknown. What I came up with, uh, and I have to admit, I dashed this time. <laughs> Everybody else has been dashing. I figured, why can't I? So, self-conscious, outspoken, observant. Nice. I used a dash, too, but only because there were three E's in a row. My three words for Hugo are seer, simple, and thoughtful. Cool. I like that. Nice. And in the world of tweets, uh, Losty94 says, lovable time traveler. Karen's Lost Notes. Uh, she has a blog, karenslostnotebook.blogspot.com. Here's my three words for Hugo. Corpulent, dark horse, extraordinary. Ooh, I like extraordinary. Yeah, extraordinary is good. Uh, Ms. Flipper says, laid back, disoriented, transparent. And Tommy Wilson 23 from simplytelevisionblogspot.com, who was the guy who was rallying the vote for Hugo when we <laughs> was having the the uh, the poll up on our on our blog. Yeah, he says, "Haha, Desmond, best parents ever, on team Jacob, and I want a cannonball." <laughs> Love it. That's awesome. Nelly 061 says, "Considerate, observant, tension reliever." 
Echo Base 77. That's Anna in Indiana from Jacob's Cabin Podcast, who's been submitting some three words for us, usually giving us something to have to go and look up. Yeah. Uh, Jacob's Cabin's Podcast, you can find at www.jacobscabinpodcast.com. She says for Hurley, ranch dipping, car flipping dude. Nice. Uh, Samantha739 says, Hurley in three words, make that six words. Says dude a lot and curly haired dude. <laughs> right. And we've got another one from Ms. Wendy from misswendy.wordpress.com and of course Heath's co host on The Lost Revisited Now. Hi, Miss Wendy, how you doing? Hugo, childlike, casual, comedic, as an, and an alternative, really likes chicken. I like her alternatives. Yeah. Christy INTX says, hopeful, helpful, huggable. Katie Gallen from the What Katie Said podcast and also has her own WordPress blog, which is whatkatiesaid.wordpress.com, says three words for Hurley, on the edge, either of a revelation, of madness, or of greatness. He's the everyman no one thinks they are. Wow, nicely done, Katie. Yeah, nicely uh, just enough says kinda sorta nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Jed Finley, of course, from Losties with Jed and Kara. Yay! Hi, Jed and Kara. Hi, Jed and Kara, and you, of course, can catch their vidcasts at their blog, or you can subscribe to them on iTunes. But their blog is LostiesWithJedKara.blogspot.com. Actually, Kara submitted three words for us this week too. Nice, Kara. So Kara says. Lovable, huggable, hilarious. That's yes. great. And Jed, of course, says, guaranteed to survive. He always <laughs> looks at it, what's going to happen to the characters. That's great. <laughs> Thank you, Jed and Kara, very much. Fizzlehoff says, power better yours. Oh, as in my power's better than yours to Miles. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah? okay. Awesome. The Gringolade, three words for Hugo. We shouldn't have lied. <laughs> Rose4815 says, the coolest dude. All right. Gareth UK, jet propelled hot pocket. Or how about foot in mouth? Or sadly underused character. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Skytweet says, lovable, crazy, amazing, awesome, wonderful, great dude. (laughs) All dashes. (laughs) That's quite a dashing there, Skytweet. Thanks. Dashing. Dashing. She's dashing. Uh, Max Hedrum 6 says, voice of fan, his mom rocks, hot pocket shot putter, (laughs) (laughs) ping pong wizard, benevolent, inquisitive medium, not size. (laughs) Cute Poison 10 says, sees dead people, or hero blessed Jesus, or touched by Jacob, or ranch dip dressing, or dude, dude, dude. Okay, I'll stop now. (laughs) <laughs> and in emails, we got one from Will the Guitar Architect again. Wanted to get in my three words for Hurley early and have several. Fun-loving dude, hero-in-waiting, lost true love, mediator for losties, always lightens mood, haunted by past, hot pocket samurai. I like that. Yeah, me too. Reader of numbers? Numbers are bad. Novice backgammon player. And finally... Dude, dude, dude. That's going to be the big <laughs> one, I think. Scotty Six says, I have a few as Hugo is my favorite character. Uh, Jacob the King, um, what Hugo Reyes means. And Loop Dude, Loop. 
Here's my real one, though. Kind, loving friend. Awesome. And Big Daddy Dez says, throws hot pockets. And a second submission other than the lengthy email, which we'll actually read the rest of his three-word submissions. He did one for every character. Oh, nice. So we'll see that in the feedback later. Uh, Dude Perm Pong. (laughs) Great. Thank you all so much for those three-word submissions. Like we said, uh, this is our last character one, but we're, I think we're going to con- try and continue the three words through the through the series. Yeah. Yeah. It's just going to be fun. I was wrong will be my three words a lot, I have a feeling. <laughs> but let's move on to childhood and pre-island. Season-by-season character highlights. Hugo was born to Carmen and David Reyes February 23, 1977 in Miami, Florida, and sometime later the family moves to Santa Monica, California. Hugo is close to his father in childhood, working on fixing up an old Camaro together until his father leaves at age 10, beginning an eating disorder for Hugo. And that is from The Incident and Trisha Tanaka is Dead. Sometime later, Hugo is involved in a deck collapse for which he blames his weight. He is admitted to Santa Rosa Mental Institute by his mother. During treatment, he has an imaginary friend, Dave, is institutionalized at the same time as Libby, plays Connect Four with Leonard, from whom he gets the numbers, and is treated for his guilt and eating disorder by Dr. Brooks. Brooks eventually proves to Hugo that Dave doesn't exist and sometime after that is released from Santa Rosa. And that is from Dave and Numbers. Hugo returns to live with his mother and works at Mr. Cluck's Chicken, where he uses the numbers he heard from Leonard to play the lotto and wins. Thinking the money will change everything, he asks Starla out for a date and makes his friend Johnny promise that nothing will change no matter what happens. Instead, his friends do begin to resent him. Additionally, during the press conference regarding the winning ticket, his grandfather dies of a heart attack, and that is from Everybody Hates Hugo and Numbers. Hugo believes the lotto is bad luck, accentuated by circumstances of his mother's new house burning down and him being arrested as a drug dealer. He buys a box company in Tustin, California, which employs John Locke, and he also purchases Mr. Clucks. He receives insurance money from another company that he owns after it burns and eight people are killed. He realizes after his financial advisor asks him, the source of the bad luck is the numbers used to win the lottery. He goes back to Santa Rosa to Leonard and asks about the source of the numbers and reveals that he used them, much to the dismay of Leonard who claims he's opened the box. Hugo finds out from Leonard that the source of the numbers is Sam Toomey in Australia, and that is from Numbers and Trisha Tanaka is dead. Right before the grand reopening of Mr. Cluck's, Hugo is interviewed by Trisha Tanaka, and she is killed when a meteor hits the restaurant. He returns home to find his father has returned, after stating he must get rid of the money. 
His father takes him to a con artist psychic to try and convince Hugo that he is not cursed, which causes a further rift between them. After his father apologizes and says he is going to stay, Hugo leaves for Australia to find the origin and meaning of the numbers. Once in Australia, Hugo finds Toomey's widow, Martha. She tells him of how once using the numbers started a string of incidents which led to Sam eventually committing suicide. When Hugo tells her that he has used the numbers and that they are cursed, she tells him there is no such thing and that they all make their own luck. Hugo books flight 815 to return to LA in time for his mother's birthday and he nearly misses the plane due to several circumstances that might be considered bad luck, encountering all of the numbers while en route. Finally, he is allowed to board the plane, and that is from Trisha Tanaka is Dead, Numbers, and Exodus Part 2. So Leslie, what are you thinking about Hugo's childhood and his time before the island? Well, um... I always think that Hugo and Libby's simultaneous institutionalization is is super interesting. You know, uh, that's you know we all have those moments that stick out for us in certain episodes. And that one shot where we go to see Libby sitting there, you know, and yeah. with with Hugo in the institution was just like, what? There's Libby. What is she doing? <laughs> yeah. You know, and we never really get that storyline, you know, and, and I know a lot of people are waiting that out, you know, to see if we get any Libby story in season six, however unlikely that might be. Um, but uh, it does stick out in my mind as one of those big questions, you know, especially since they kind of, you know, they tried to, they had some attraction to each other on the island while they were there, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, they, they basically got a kiss in, but otherwise it was really kind of a missed connection there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it ended, you know, because she died. So it was, you know, I always wonder what the, there's got to be some kind of special connection there between Hugo and, and Libby that we don't fully have the story on yet. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you know, I, I, in, in general, I think that, um, you know, most people will agree with the, the, the point that Hugo is just a big softy. He's just such a big softy. Um, and, you know, I always want things to work out for him because he seems to be so inherently good. Um, and, you know, we see that from both of his parents. You know, even though his father might be less than responsible or mature, both his parents also have a goodness to them. Um, uh, kind of a simple goodness. And, you know, I never really believe that Hugo's crazy. I yeah. never I, I never really believe that he's crazy. I always think there's going to be some better explanation, you know, and... You know, we'll talk about this more in some of the other seasons, but, you know, when, when Hugo starts to see people who have passed away, you know, you can't really, you know, at a certain point, you got you can't really call that crazy anymore. That's more of an ability to see. Um, right. So, right. so, yeah, those are my and, thoughts. And especially as pointed out by Jacob in, in the incident, you know, it's like, what if it wasn't a curse? What if it was a gift? Uh-huh. You can see all those people, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I, totally, I totally agree, you know, that... Um, the only person that I think really thinks Hugo is crazy is Hugo. Uh-huh. You know, uh, he has this way of taking everything on, kind of on his own shoulders and then finding a way of, of making it better for everybody, you know. And, and you see that, especially, like you said, later on when we talk about the, the seasons and on the island and, and even later after he's off the island. But it, it's... Uh, he's... He's one of these people that 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 kind of 
takes things onto his own shoulders a lot. I think mm-hmm. you know he like he tends to take the blame for things rather than um, see their light side sometimes. Yeah. And the the only problem that I kind of have with the whole Hugo character is this explanation of his of his eating disorder. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we see in Trisha Tanaka is dead when his father leaves and says, "It's okay, Hugo, live it up," you know, and have the candy bar. You know, and he says, well, his mom told me not to, you know, I'm not supposed to do that. And and then he leaves. And, of course, Hugo then eats. You know, you see little little, little Hugo eating the candy bar or whatever. Um, what I don't understand is, if dad's gone for 17 years, why hasn't mom reinforced the rule? Uh-huh. You know, why why does he, I mean, does he just keep eating anyway? Is he, is he sneaking it? Is it... it you know, we don't know exactly what's going on there. And so that's kind of a, a another yet another daddy issue on Lost. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> that's true. Um, you know, they all have their daddy issues. Um, but it, it it's one of those things that, you know, I just never thought made a whole lot of sense. I, I mean, I understand why they threw it in there just in terms of Jorge's own personal size, you know, and they could kind of incorporate that into the character or what have you. Mm-hmm. You know, in order to explain why Jorge's, you know, why Hugo is bigger in, in, in life later on. But uh, it, it just never did seem to make a whole lot of sense to me, the whole eating disorder thing. Uh, and that leads to a lot of his, his strategy. It's what leads to him going to the institution. You know, uh, right. the whole thing with Dr. Brooks is what makes him, you know, uh, get over Dave. You know, and it's Dave that's inside his head that's telling him, oh, yeah, eat, eat, you know, and that through that whole episode of Dave, when you see him in the institution, he's, you know, just stuffing his face. And, of course, that's the same episode that we see Libby in, you know, in the institution, too. Mm-hmm. So that goes back to your other point there. Hugo's mom, though, is, you know, we see her, in, we see her in, in these what would be flashbacks for Hugo. She's just one of my favorite characters in Lost. Uh, we got an email, which we won't read this week, but uh, next week from Cute Poison 10, where she went into this whole spiel about Hugo's mom, and, and we'll cover that. But there was, uh, there, there's just little things like, why is there a dead Pakistani on my couch? Which I think was either Jet, mm-hmm. one of Jed or Kara's moments from the uh-huh. favorite uh, Lost Season 5 moment. And, uh, you know... Little things like that, or I, uh, my favorite one is, uh, yes, Jesus can get you a new car. You know, <laughs> and, and, uh, I just love that line. I, I think that's hilarious. Uh, uh, he wants to know what color. You, yes, it's Jesus on the phone. He wants to know what color car you want. You know, <laughs> just hilarious lines. And, really and, and, and that woman portrays that character so well. I just think that's awesome. Um, and and of course the big mythology tie for Hugo. Not only the fact that he sees dead people, but the numbers, and we see the numbers start to come into play long before the, any of the rest of it. Uh, but, uh, I mean, th- this is a huge part of, of the mythology, and and these numbers, once he uses them, follow him everywhere he goes. You know, uh, we see him on the hatch. We see him uh, how many times on his way to the airport from the hotel, you know, when he's uh, in, in Exodus Part 2. By the ARG explanation of Alan Zeddy numbers, uh, or an equation to predict the end of mankind. Um, and bad things happen all around these numbers, and so they happen all around to him, but never really actually to him, you know. 
And and you'll notice that as these numbers are popping up, it's always in circumstances that's trying to keep him from getting on the plane. The car breaks down, and there's a certain one of the numbers is on the speedometer or whatever, and and uh, he, he encounters all of the numbers as he's on the scooter to get up to the gate, and she's not going to let him on, and then finally she does. You know, um, it it again, it's all about you know eight fifteen flight eight fifteen. There's two numbers there, eight and fifteen. It, all the numbers completely surround Hugo, and they never affect him directly. Seems like, you know, and, yeah. and 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 that's why I think he takes on the responsibility. And I think at one point he even says uh, to Charlie that he thinks he's the reason that the plane crashed. Mm-hmm. You know, he does, yeah. and um, those kind of things. And, and he he just uh, he ta- but he he takes all of that responsibility upon himself. And then he tries to, you know, make it better uh, for everybody else by by doing things like we'll see later on, where like building the golf course and things like that. Because of the way that he takes on that responsibility, to me, Hugo is is actually a lot more tragic. I mean, we always see him in a comic relief sense, you know, and what have you. But you know, the the real Hugo story is 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 pretty tragic to me, you know, and the fact that he does take on those those burdens and those heavy those heavy issues, mm-hmm. you know. And and the way he deals with it is 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 kind of inspiring, you know. The way that he takes all of that negativeness and 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 turns it into a, a positive energy for everybody else. It's very selfless. It's very um, maybe that's his own way of denial of it. I'm not sure, you know. Mm-hmm. But I it 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 really makes a lot of uh, it, it just makes you think about the way you 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 take the bad things in your life and and what you can do with them. Yeah. So those are my thoughts on his childhood. You got anything else there? Uh, No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, then let's move on to feedback. Feedback. And in feedback, first of all, we'd want to thank the anonymous commenter and uh, Zach's Mine and Q Poison Ten for their comments at our blog uh, for the Lost Rock and Moments special. Thank you very much for Thanks, your positives, <laughs> and uh, we really enjoyed doing that. We hope everybody else enjoyed listening to it. Uh, we also got a couple of tweets in here. One is from Dano at Large, listening to Ben podcast. Thought of two, three words: ends justify means and Harry Potter spectacles. Okay. Yeah, uh, the whole ends justify means thing. Well, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that myself, but uh, nonetheless, I, it doesn't make me any less intrigued by Ben's character, and, and we all know how Leslie feels about Ben, so we'll just shut up there. Crickets. Uh, and then Lost <laughs> 815 by 30 Faye says, my delayed three words for Ben Linus. Best character ever. Yay! Uh, Lost 815 by 30 Fay. <laughs> One for Matt. Ching! I didn't say he wasn't a good character. Oh, okay. Just, a personal just the evilest dislike. thing we've seen, I yeah. believe, is what she <laughs> wow, said. Wow, you remember what I, I said. I remember what you said. Uh, I heard that. It went straight <laughs> deep down that. into my deep down into my sternum. You know, right I wasn't there. talking to you, right? It's like saying, <laughs> Anyway, uh, so. We uh, also have a voicemail here, and this is also from our anonymous caller who's called before, uh, so let's listen to that. 
Hey, I'm calling in with the theory about Hugo if it's not too late. By the end of the show, I think that he'll end up being the leader of the others. I'm basing this only because Richard let Ben join them since he could see his dead mother, and since Hugo can talk to dead people, I think that Richard will let him join and appoint him leader at some point. Well, that's all I have. I'll listen to the podcast. Bye. And thank you, caller. Well, okay, so if there is a parallel there, I suppose, if Ben actually did see his dead mother, I'm not sure that that's the case. I kind of think that that's the smoke monster myself, but uh, it's possible, I suppose. Certainly anything is possible in season six, for crying out loud. <laughs> so thank you very much for that call. Leslie, you got any thoughts on that? No, I, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of... Um, you know, if, if there are any other characters that fit that same um, description for potential, you know, leader of the others kind of position. And, um, you know, we know Jack has also seen um, Christian on the island, though Christian may be an exception because of just Christian and all the things that surround Christian. Uh, but um, otherwise, I don't know, maybe it is just Hugo that's seen dead people besides Miles. Yeah. Echo um, saw Anna Lucia in a dream course that goes dead now so yeah maybe uh, I, I i think it's unlikely but i think it's a really interesting theory i agree thanks for the call and now we're going to move on to emails first we have to say uh thanks to sitepal.com for loaning us julie a speaking dynamic character here <laughs> she is to say hello hi i'm julie a dynamic speaking character developed by sitepal and i'll be reading the emails today for the keys to lost podcast if you would like to learn more about dynamic speaking characters and their multiple web applications, please visit www.sitepal.com. And thanks, Julie. Why don't you read our first two emails from Will the Guitar Architect? We have two emails from Will the Guitar Architect. The first is with the subject Ben Hanna's in three words. I was listening to the Sawyer Part 2 of 2, and am very excited about the upcoming Ben Hanna's and Hugo character spotlights. But when you said to describe Benjamin Hannes in three words, I thought good luck. He is such a complex character with many, many layers. But I would say that the three words that describe him are, pain-filled, knifing, victim. Well. And now the second email from Will the Guitar Architect. This one has the subject of Rocking Lost Moments podcast. Hey Matt and Leslie. Thanks so much for the Rockin' Moments podcast. It was so good. I would suggest that this become a regular part of the podcast for each episode during the season. Will. All right, Will. Thank you for your three words, and uh, we'll give that some consideration. The Rock and Moments thing was was a lot of fun to do, but I have to admit that I spent some time on that. But yeah. uh, it would be tough to crank out you know, a weekly episode on a new episode every week and, and try and find a single Rock and Moment and then a song to go with it, and then, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll give it some thought. Thanks. And our next emails come from LazyMan9484. Take it away, Julie. Email number one from LazyMan9484. The subject is Ben's box. What was in the box was probably the gun he used to shoot Desmond with. In a deleted scene, he went to Jill the Butcher to find where Penny is. When she asked if he needed a gun, he said he already had one. I think it was the gun that was in the box. LazyMan9484 Email number 2 from LazyMan9484 
The subject is the bomb Jughead. I think they openly said that Jughead was in a swan in the shell. In the constant Faraday asked if Desmond was exposed to radiation or electromagnetism. The radiation is from Jughead's core. They want us to ignore the radiation comment because it's cliché, and because we know about the electromagnetism at that point. Lazy Man 9484 those are those are pretty interesting thoughts there, Lazy Man 9484. Um, it, I guess it is possible that the gun could be in the box. You know, mm -hmm. hadn't really thought about that. And uh, of course, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying that when Desmond turns the key at the end of season two, uh, that it is basically igniting another nuclear device. And maybe they did get that idea from from Jughead. Uh, maybe because it either worked before or it didn't work before. We don't, we're not sure yet. We won't be sure until after we see what happens in season six. Uh, or maybe it actually is still just Jughead there that he actually ignites when he turns the key. Who knows? Um, but those are good thoughts. Thank you very much. Oh, we've got emails too from Helena from Sweden. Oh, yay. All right, Julie, take her away. Email number one from Helena. Hey, Matt and Leslie, love the podcast and your character analysis. This is the first time I've ever written to a podcast. In your recent Ben episode, Matt brought up a theory about the others, saying that they have been following MIB without knowing it. While I want to agree that this seems to be the case, there are some issues. In Season 5 when Ilana's people burn down the cabin, she says that Jacob hasn't been there in a long time and that someone else has been using it. To me this clearly suggests that MIB is the one who's been there. Probably using it to manipulate the others and or losties to get his loophole. This brings up a lot of questions though, like, when Ben brings Locke there, is he aware that Jacob used to be in the cabin? Who brought Ben the lists? Was it Richard? If so, did he go to the statue to get them? If MIB has been pulling the strings all along, how does Richard know where Jacob is? And why hasn't he told the other others about it? Since Richard knows that Jacob is in the statue in 2007, and it seems that Jacob has been there a while, since he left the cabin, then you would think Richard would know not to trust whoever appears in the cabin. When Frank asks Ilana about why they have to show the others lost body she says it's so that they will know who they are up against. This suggests that Richard also knows about MIB. My point is, how could MIB trick the others when Richard seems to know a lot about both him and Jacob? I see only three possibilities. Richard works for MIB, or Richard has somehow been fooled along with the rest of the others, or Richard knew but didn't tell anyone. Well, those are the thoughts off the top of my head. Helena. Email number two from Helena. Hey again Leslie and Matt. When writing my previous email another thought occurred to me. When did Jacob live where? In the opening of the incident we see Jacob starting on his tapestry in the room beneath the statue. Then Horace built the cabin in the late 70s or early 80s. In 2007 Ilana states that Jacob hasn't been in the cabin in a long time, but she implies that he has used it at some point. So, did Jacob live in the statue from the time of the incident until the cabin was built, moved to the cabin and then back to the statue? Just a thought that seemed strange to me. Helena. Okay, those are great thoughts, Helena. Uh, I, I kind of agree with your second point in, in terms of how we, how we can justify Richard not knowing, and that is uh, that he's somehow been fooled along with the rest of the others. 
my whole theory is that, like, let's say Richard comes to the island and MIB basically shows up and to Richard and says, hi, I'm Jacob, you know, uh, and so now Richard thinks that MIB is Jacob and has never actually even met Jacob. And the in response to your second email about the statue and whether he was ever in the cabin or not, I don't think that Jacob was ever really in the cabin. Uh, I mean, I know that Damon and Carlton have said, you know, in Man Behind the Curtain that that was Jacob in the cabin. But you know how I feel about what Damon and Carlton say. I'm not big fans of them saying anything except what we related to information that we know at that point. So since we're told at that point that... Ben seems to know where Jacob is, even though now we know that Ben never knew where Jacob was, never saw him, never spoke to him, only received pieces of paper from Richard. We can assume that Richard's been going to the cabin at that point uh, to see what he thought was Jacob mm -hmm. and getting those lists for Ben to follow. Um, and in actuality, it's been MIB that he's been visiting, even though he does. Richard himself doesn't know that. And therefore... Uh, the only way that Richard knows to go to the statue in 2007 is because there is a uh, a piece of that tapestry with the statue on it, with the knife in it, the same one that Alana finds, is there, and that's how Richard knows to go to the statue instead of the cabin in order to look for Jacob. Uh, and of course, this is all just a big part of uh, MIB's big plan. Yeah. At least in my opinion. But that's that's the best that I can explain uh, where I'm coming from to you there, Helena. Thank you so much for those emails. Those are great. And now we have an email from Buzzmeg. Hey, Buzzmeg, how you doing? Uh, this is regarding Ben Linus's birthday. Take it away, Julie. Here's an email from Buzzmeg. The subject is Ben Linus's birthday. While listening to Ben's character exam, something hit me whereby I believe the writers made a big error. It just so happened that yesterday was the 19th of December, Ben's birthday. While the Northeast was being pummeled by snowstorms I decided to check the weather for the Northwest, particularly, Portland, Oregon on December 19, 1964. I found on that day the max temperature to be 28 degrees Fahrenheit. Not a particularly nice day for someone in their third trimester to be hiking in the woods. Additionally, Although I haven't checked yet, I'm almost positive that Roger and Emily were not dressed appropriately for the weather conditions described above, and the car that subsequently picked them up was a red convertible, with the top down. Your thoughts? Buzzmeg. Good find, Buzzmeg, and yeah, you know, I think this is just one of those things that we're going to have to chalk up to the writers making up a date and not really checking to see what things were like on that date. Yeah, good eye. Yeah, good eye. Thanks, Buzzmeg, for that examination of that fact who's next hooray for hawking we have an email from hooray for hawking take it away julie an email from hooray for hawking entitled wondering about richard hi leslie and matt i wanted to comment on that theory that the others have been taking orders from mib all along i like the idea that ben may try to get revenge on mib for being duped i wouldn't mind seeing that i wonder how you think richard fits into that theory Personally, I can't decide which side Richard is on, especially from his explanation to Locke about why he doesn't age. Richard says, I'm this way because of Jacob. And if I had to guess, he's the reason you're not in that coffin anymore. 
Lopin says, I agree completely Richard. That's why I'm doing this, so I can thank him. Since we still don't know any other details about Richard's past, I wouldn't be surprised if Fake Lock wasn't the only one choosing his words carefully here. Sometimes I think Richard's words could really mean, I'm this way because of Jacob, because I'm here to keep an eye on him for the other guy, and I'm starting to think that you're here on behalf of the other guy too, but I'm not sure enough of that to come out and ask you directly. When Richard looks uncertain when Locke tells him that they'll have to take care of the Adira people, it could be because he's still trying to figure out what's up with this new Locke, who's acting so different from the way he was before. Or, Richard could be completely on Jacob's side and not aware of the other guy, and just genuinely puzzled at what Locke is asking him to do. It's played brilliantly to set up a number of different ways for Richard to fit into the story. I'm really looking forward to getting the backstory on Richard. Namaste, hooray for Hawking. And namaste to you too, hooray for Hawking. Those are some interesting thoughts, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily, I would have never read that much into that dialogue, you know, but, uh... Me neither, but I can't see any flaw in the logic. I, I can't really either, so, uh, we'll keep an eye out for that in Season yeah, 6. Great yeah. thoughts. Thanks a lot for sending the email. Next up, Dave from Toronto. Take it away, Julie. An email from Dave in Toronto. Subject. Benjamin Hannes. I just finished listening to part one of your character analysis podcast of Benjamin Hannes, and while I agree with you Matt, that Ben may be shown to be a good guy in the final season, in my eyes he can only be redeemed somewhat if he sacrifices himself to save everyone. Though he may have mistakenly followed MIB, he still chooses to murder, and to murder his own father. I agree with Leslie that we have yet to see the circumstances under which Ben formed his evil side because even though he was shown little love from his father, Roger Linus deserved a better fate than to be murdered in cold blood at the hands of his son. Have you guys listened to the Lost Revisited Now podcast featuring hate special on the Dharma Initiative Blu-ray kit? It apparently comes with a copy of the terms which govern the ceasefire between Dharma and the others and there is no doubt that Dharma was in violation of said agreement which is probably why the others decided to wipe out most of them. I would love to see some of those key events that occurred on the island between 1977 and 1992, but the producers have probably already moved on from that. I look forward to part 2 of your Benjamin Honest podcast. Keep up the great work. Dave in Toronto. And thank you, Dave, for that email. Uh, sounds like you're much more in Leslie's camp about Ben than I am. Yeah, but, what's up? Yeah, so she's happy about that. I can see her, <laughs> see her smirking over there, stabbing me in the heart again. Nah. Ah, just kidding. And as far as the Dharma Initiative kit, yeah, actually, I own a copy of that. And uh, we just looked over the treaty while we were looking through your email here. And... I suppose if we're going to take that as canon, then you would be correct. They would be in violation of any number of points on that agreement. Uh, if yeah. you are going to take that as canon, though, that particular piece of paper, you also have to note that that is not a signed treaty. That is a, uh, a draft of the treaty that hasn't been finalized yet. So we don't know what of those points were actually made or not. And that's if you're going to take it all as canon. Uh, which we don't know that we can actually do. Yeah, it's a little bit shaky as far as leaning on leaning on the logic of it, but but we can definitely see the point. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for the email. And here's one from Scotty Six on Ben Linus. An email from Scotty Six. 
subject. Ben Thoughts Hey Matt and Leslie, just finally getting a chance to listen to the Ben episodes, and I had a quick thought. Lots of people compare Ben to Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker really, but I've always thought of him more like Severus Snape from the Harry Potter books. There are a lot of reasons I think that. And, the comparison can be lengthy, but the end result is something J.K. Rowling shows the reader, and I think may play into season 6 with Ben. You don't have to be a good person, or even have the best intentions, in order to do what's right. Snape, does what is right for purely selfish reasons, because he loved Lily Potter. He still hated Harry, he still didn't completely disagree with Voldemort, but he loved Lily so much, that it overrode those other factors, within him. Ben may never be redeemed, and he may take actions for purely selfish reasons, but that may not preclude him from doing what's right in the end. Happy New Year, and I am eagerly awaiting the Hugo episodes. Scotty Six. And thank you very much, Scotty. You know, I had never really compared Ben to Snape like that. I think that's a pretty interesting comparison, and I can definitely see them both doing, quote-unquote, the right thing for, quote-unquote, the wrong reasons. Uh, so uh, that, that, that works for me. I like it. Thanks a lot. And that's all the emails I have to read this week. Thanks, Ned and Leslie. Remember, if you wish to know more about dynamic speaking characters such as myself, for your website or web applications, please come visit us at www.sitepal.com. Thank you very much, Julie, for your help with our emails. We do have one other email that we've got to get in here, and that's from Big Daddy Des from St. Louis. Nice. And uh, he submitted a whole bunch of three words for different characters. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to read through them right now. Uh, for Saeed, break his neck. For Michael... He's my son. For <laughs> uh, son, the green thumb diva. I, I like, like that. that. Yeah. Uh, Jen, hand a bargain shopper. Yeah. <laughs> uh, from G Young. And uh, Charlie, you all, everybody, of course. Claire, where'd she go? Juliet, burning baked goods. Yeah, <laughs> right on. Desmond, big daddy Des. Oh, of uh, course. Yeah, of course. And uh, Ben. Pulling tunnel plugs. <laughs> uh, Faraday, weepy TV watcher. Miles needs fish tacos. Yeah, I love that when he gets uh, caught outside the tacos, the fish taco place, and put in the van with Graham and them. That's great. Uh, Frank, damn fine candidate. <laughs> Is he a candidate? See, they still haven't really told us whether he's a candidate. And a candidate for what? Uh, Charlotte, she is Donald's. Donald is lost. That's awesome. Mickey, razzle frickin' dazzle. Right on. Uh, Apollo, I don't lie. Vincent, run, eat, sleep. Rose, there she is. Bernard, let himself go. Oh, for the Moses <laughs> moment that you like so much. I like the Moses look. Yeah. And uh, Richard, no wrinkles anywhere. Yeah, he's pretty ageless. Uh, Jacob. What about you? There was a, one that you said would have been three words for Ben. That's awesome. Uh, Jacob's enemy. What's my name? Because <laughs> we still don't have a name for him. Yet. Still don't. We've know. heard Esau. We've heard MIB. We've called him the the anti Jacob. We've mm-hmm. called him Andy Locke. We've called. These him. are all names we've given though. These yeah, are not we, names. We don't from know the what show. his name is. What's my name? Like that smoke monster. Hates airline pilots. That's funny. That's great. <laughs> and then Echo. Honestly, what was so bad about Hawaii that I had to leave the show? 
Now I realize my big career mistake, and I want to go back to the show. What was I thinking? My dear friend, Big Daddy Dez, could have been Big Daddy Eck. But no, I had to spoil that one. Spoiler alert. I spoil people's online nicknames. Obviously, my importance merits much more than three words because I get what I want. Like leaving the show, I will do what I please. Wow, yeah, that's a long one. <laughs> that's, a, that's a long three words for Echo. And uh, one of my favorites, Frogurt, delicious frozen yogurt. Not Ted Drew's good, but still a viable taste. <laughs> And, and you have to be a St. Louisan to appreciate that, because Ted Drew's is the most awesome frozen yogurt you'll ever have. Frozen custard, I believe. Frozen custard. That's true. Not frozen yogurt. Yeah. Frozen custard. Sorry, oh. I didn't mean to dampen. Oh, well, I just, you know. That's... I was trying to make it sound better, because custard is definitely a step beyond yogurt. Custard, just like Walter. It's custard. From Fringe. Oh, sorry. Wrong podcast. <laughs> Anyway, that's the feedback for this week. We're going to add another section of feedback next week because we do have some other emails that I didn't put on this week. So uh, we'll continue to do that. If you have any feedback you wish to give us between now and then, feel free to call our listener comment line 314-754-9662 or email us at keystolost, K-E-Y-S-T-O-L-O-S-T at gmail.com. Let's move on to Season 1 highlights, shall we? Let's do it. Season-by-season character highlights. Hugo becomes an aide to Jack and the rest, staying with Claire, serving meals, befriending Saeed, helping Jack with the marshal, and keeping spirits up. He refuses sea urchin as food from Jin. He's the second person to see Kate's mugshot. He has his first confrontation with Sawyer over peanuts that he believes Sawyer has stolen. And that is from the pilot parts 1 and 2, Tabula Rasa, and Walkabout. He assists Claire when she dehydrates and is on the beach during the Live Together Die Alone speech. He agrees to move to the caves Jack has found, with wreckage collected by Locke, he builds a golf course to ease tensions of the survivors. When Claire is attacked, he begins to take a census of the survivors, talks Sawyer out of the flight manifest, and is the one that discovers that Ethan was not on the plane. And that is from White Rabbit, House of the Rising Sun, Missing Pieces, Arts and Crafts, Solitary, and Raised by Another. Hugo loses money to Walt in backgammon, mocks Sawyer's attempts to pick the lock of a Halliburton case, has health issues due to lack of protein and attempts to get Jen's help to fish. During his fishing, he is stung by a sea urchin and is forced to eat one by Jen, for which he is later rewarded with a fish from Jen. He notes that Michael must dislike being a dad to Jack and later reports to Michael that Walt is gone. He points out to Sawyer that Scott, not Steve, is Ethan's victim. Hugo buries Ethan with Charlie and out of concern goes to Saeed to talk to Charlie about his experience. He attempts to ease Jen's tensions to no avail and loses more money to Walt in backgammon. And that is from All the Best Cowboys Have Daddy Issues, Whatever the Case May Be, Hearts and Minds, Special, Homecoming, Outlaws, and In Translation. Hugo notices the numbers on one of Rousseau's notations and asks Saeed about them. He steals the map and puts Charlie off saying he needs some alone time. He sets out to find Rousseau and eventually is caught up with by Charlie, Saeed, and Jack while he is about to set off one of Rousseau's traps. 
He gets free and after getting separated from the rest of the group, eventually finds Rousseau, thanking her when she agrees that the numbers are cursed. He returns to Saeed, Jack, and Charlie with a gift from Rousseau, a battery for Michael's boat. He reveals to Charlie about his financial worth, but Charlie doesn't believe him. And that's from numbers. Hugo comments on Sawyer's glasses. He is among the group that see Aaron when Claire brings him to the beach and points Saeed and Shannon's return out to Jack. He helps Charlie babysit Aaron for a while and attempts to calm the baby by singing. He complains about not being able to keep track of people's secrets. He tells Arts of Jack and Locke's plan to get dynamite and blow the hatch door and goes with the group to get dynamite, encountering the smoke monster, seeing Arts blow up, and finding the numbers on the hatch door, trying to stop Locke from blowing the hatch door to no avail. And that is from Deus Ex Machina, Do No Harm, The Greater Good, Born to Run, and Exodus Parts 1 and 2. So those are some of the season one highlights as they apply to Hugo. You know, for me, um, Hugo's simplicity is what is part of what makes him um, kind of a wise character, I think. Um, it seems like anytime Hugo shares his point of view about something, I'm always thinking, you know, here comes the truth of it, or this is what everyone should do, or this is what everyone should know. He's so unsuspecting um, as, as a wisdom type character that you never see him coming in this way. Especially with Jack and Locke constantly kind of duking it out, uh, um, so to speak, about what decisions should be made about this or that. And Hugo's always kind of at Jack's side, too. So very, very interesting, very, very wise in, in, a, in a simple way. I also love the unlikely pairing of, of Hugo and Rousseau. When Rousseau gives, um, gives Hugo the, um, the confirmation that he needs to feel sane, that the numbers are, in fact, cursed... It's such an interesting thing that Rousseau is the one that, that helps Hugo feel seen. You yeah. know? It's 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 so interestingly written. I, I just I thought that was great. That is awesome. I never really thought about that like that. That's great. Very cool. What do you think, Matt? Well, uh, I'm going to uh, bring up that one of my favorite lines of all of Lost is, of course, when Jack says, well, things could be worse, and Hugo just kind of looks at him in disbelief and goes... <laughs> I just like I love that. It's just like that. That's like one of the most real moments it in, is. in all of Lost, you know. It's, and you get you get smoke monsters, you get everything else, and then you have Hugo, who just just this is why why I say outspoken. You know, one because he's unable to really be able to withhold the truth. He has to tell the truth, mm-hmm. uh, and and two because he just shoots it from the hip. What it's really like, you know. I mean, Jack. Well, things could be worse. And he's like, how? <laughs> we just crashed on a plane, you know, on an island. You know, there's something out there in the woods that wants to eat us. We're, <laughs> we're trapped in these little caves. We're all going crazy here, you know. I mean, you're getting bugged by a guy who's got hives, you know. Well, how could things be worse, you know? Just, I love that. It, it, it's so perfect, you know. And, um, it, again, I, I think that, that, that really speaks to his outspokenness and his, his, his need for for honesty, even as what Mother points out when he when he's younger, before when he first learns that he wins the lottery, you know, I think it's in Dave actually where where she tells him, you know, uh, I know you're lying to me, but I can tell because, 
you know, you can't look me in the eye, you know, when you when you're lying and 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 and, and that actor Jorge Garcia carries that through every scene with his mother where he's having to tell a lie. Like up in in season five, before he fesses what happened to them on the island, you know, in like a minute, which is a hilarious scene in itself, mm-hmm. you know. But he's like he's like he can't look at her until until he finally tells her the truth, and and uh, uh, it's just it's it's great that um, that kind of honesty comes through in at least one character, you know, the 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 real character. And I really like your point about how the fact that you know uh, he he's constantly fighting. His, his own what he thinks is his own insanity and the person that he ends up getting coupled with is a person who we assume with as being kind of insane and that's that's mm-hmm. Rousseau I think that's a great that's a great observation of that pairing the 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 dynamic of the Hugo and Sawyer relationship already starts in season one you know I mean that their yeah. first their first real encounter is fighting over peanuts <laughs> you know because Hugo thinks that Sawyer stole them and Sawyer's like well I took it from the from the fuselage just like I always do and uh, then then there are there are other things and again this outspo- outspokenness and observant behavior of Hugo yeah, I think is what uh, kind of draws Sawyer to give Hugo a break he sees him as kind of one of his own because that's what that's what Sawyer is he's a thinker he's a, he's an observer you know he knows exactly what's going on with people even even if he doesn't point it out to him, and Hugo can't help but point it out to him to him, but Sawyer tends to keep that in. But he can see that kind of talent, and he can respect that. And so when Hugo comes up and asks for the manifest and says, you know, I'm just going to shoot it straight, you know, and, and Sawyer is kind of like, well, you go, you know, and and, and he's like, um, I I know you got the manifest, and why don't you just give it to me, you know? And and before Sawyer can even come up with a logical argument for it, Hugo just says, dude, you could use the points. You know, and this is after the whole thing about the inhalers and all of this stuff, and and uh, uh, it's just funny. He, Sawyer just like, yeah, okay, it's in the brown suitcase. Yeah, you know, it's just, you know, it, automatically Sawyer's got a soft spot for Hugo, just like the rest of us, you know, and and it it kind of it's it's the first time that really the kind of lighter side of Sawyer ever comes out, and that's through that's through Hugo, you know. And as their relationship will develop over the, their course of time on the island, I think you'll see those events that end up actually, you know, the way that Hugo helps Sawyer become a leader, mm-hmm. essentially, later on, like in season three and what have you. And and that's why Sawyer makes the big sacrifice out of the helicopter is, I think, for Hugo, not for not for anybody else on that on that helicopter. But he just doesn't want Hugo to have to jump in that jump out of the helicopter. And that's mm-hmm. why he does it, you know. Um, so, uh, numbers is just a fantastic episode. It's it's witty, it's funny, it's got the mythology of the numbers. Um, it really kind of establishes Hugo as the proxy for the audience, which I'm not a big fan of that. But um, I guess nobody else is going to do it, you know. And 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 he's kind of the perfect character, that outspoken, you know, honest character that's just going to say, "I want some friggin' answers." You know, uh, and just like the rest of us, because that's what we're all screaming but, you know, as we're sitting there at the TV screen. Yeah, it So sure uh, it, it, it's kind of cool in that way. And uh, the numbers being on the hatch in Exodus, you know, when when Hugo uh, just fights and and tries to put the put the fuse out, you know, he's going trying to catch it and stomp on it uh, all almost all the way to the hatch until Jack, you know, pulls him away before the blast happens. And And he's not doing it because... 
bad things will will happen. Uh, he's doing it because he believes bad things will happen to everybody around him, not not to him, because he's seen that time and time again. Uh, and the whole course that we we learn when from Australia, where the the widow said, you know, well, all of these bad things were happening all around, and it's what eventually caused my husband to commit suicide. You know, because he, 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 he was so crazy, he thought it was all his fault. Uh-huh. You know, and Hugo sees that exact very same thing happening to himself. You know, um, and I guess that's all the thoughts that I have for season one. Nice. All right. Why don't we move on to theories? Theories. Theories. You or me first. I thought you were going to say, by Jack Handy. <laughs> Deep thoughts. <laughs> Deep Hugo thoughts. Hugo thoughts. <laughs> Theories. You or me first. Uh, you go first. I'll go first. Hugo's power. Why does he see people? I mean... His power is obviously better than Miles's. All Miles can do is <laughs> read people's dead thoughts. <laughs> Whereas Hugo actually sees them and converses with them. His power and he is even definitely makes, better. He makes a point to tell Miles that his power is better. <laughs> but what is it exactly? I mean, is this him actually talking to dead people? Is it him talking to men in black? Is it him talking to those people, perhaps in the alternate timeline, that he has the power to see through to? Oh, I like that. Yeah, we've, we've discussed that before. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure um, what exactly to make of that, because then there are those instances like Dave, where you think Dave is probably actually just imaginary. Or is Dave from another timeline, too? Do, do mm-hmm. we, you know, it's hard, it's hard to say, you know. It, well, you know, we, it, it does seem strange when we get that realization in the institution after the doctor takes the picture that Dave doesn't exist at all. There is, you know, I mean, there's the shock of, oh, wow, Hugo really is kind of crazy. Right. Um, but after he continues to see other people who really did exist, you know, it's not so strange that you would ask, did Dave really exist or not? Right. You know? Yeah. Kind of wild. Yeah. It's just that whole thing about Charlie. When, when he has a conversation with Charlie in, in, in season four, you know, and Charlie says, well, I'm dead, but I'm also here. What does that mean? Yeah. What you does know, because it, it, it could be interpreted as, yes, in this timeline, I'm dead, but I'm also here because you're able to see through to another timeline. Mm-hmm. You know? Or it could mean, yes, I'm dead, but I'm also here because I'm a ghost and you can see ghosts. It, it could be interpreted in, in in many number of ways. But I really, I can't remember who it was now who, who originally brought that theory up, that Hugo is just seeing through to an alternate timeline, which makes a lot more sense with this whole prospect of, of possible reset or whatever. 
uh, that it, he might be seen through to another timeline uh, and to these people that exist on the other side. No matter which side we're going to end up having to invest in, it doesn't really matter, you know, in terms of the characters. I, I, I happen to actually agree with Donald from Donald's Lost that it would be a travesty if we don't make uh, the, everything that we've been seeing for the last five seasons matter. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I really can't help but feel that that Hugo has been a clue to us to seeing uh, an alternate reality or seeing through to an alternate reality at some point throughout the whole show. Mm-hmm. Nice. So nice. I'm not sure. I'm not it's a sure. Good theory. Um, the other thing, of course, is is the numbers and was it. That Hugo really did open the box, as it as Leonard says. Well, you open the box, mm-hmm. you know, or, or is it, uh, or is it Hugo the one that ended up opening the box prior to Leonard in a way? Because there's that whole thing about people saying that it's Hugo whose voice is on the transmission of the numbers as flight as the flight 316 travels through time from 77 towards 2007 as it's approaching the island. Mm-hmm. And, and in the cockpit, they hear the transmission of the numbers. And lots of people say, well, that's Hugo's voice, you know. So does Hugo at some point start transmitting the numbers for for the Dharma Initiative between this 77 time and, and, and sometime in the future? And then the fact that he's the one that's saying the numbers gets heard by Sam Toomey and Leonard. And then, there, and then Sam Toomey uses the numbers. And Leonard is so quoting the numbers. Maybe he is the box. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, it's, it's a, could it be another one of those? Could it be another one of those Mobius strip loops, like the compass loop, where it really has no beginning or no end because Hugo is the one who says the numbers, which ends up leading to him using the numbers and the numbers following him around, which brings him to the island, which ends up getting him to say the numbers, which gets him to going to Leonard and and everything, and then back to him using the numbers, which gets him back to the island and then going back around. You know, if you want to look at it in, in that respect, then the numbers just travel in this loop from Hugo to Hugo to Hugo to Hugo to Hugo to Hugo. Wow. I guess that's possible. You know, it, it, there, there's also the, the possibility that the, the numbers are what's being used to bring Hugo to the island, and that loop is not going to stop until he comes. You know, like they all have a loop that, that ends up bringing them to where they are on the island, perhaps. You know, yeah. the numbers is a very extreme version of of that system where he ends up there. Yeah. Um, Very good. Yeah, it would be quite a loop, I think, if he ends up being the one on the, on the transmission that they hear. Yeah. Saying the numbers. I yeah. I, 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 mean, I don't hear it myself, so I, mm-hmm. I don't really subscribe to that theory. Yeah. Um, but I just thought I would bring it up because it's a pretty popular theory out there right now. Um, you know, I, I think it, it, it seems to me that Hugo's bad luck with the numbers... Um, seems to um, seems to leave him once he arrives on the island. And that's not to say that nothing bad happens, but there seems to be a stop to the string of ridiculous, over-the-top, meteor-type accidents once he does arrive on the island, which, you know, might be further support for the theory that um, the numbers are trying to bring him to the island. Um, it seems like the island kind of puts a stop to it once he arrives. You know, even though the numbers are still in full play, I mean, we see them... They're being punched in every 108 minutes. We see them on the hatch. You know, the numbers haven't gone away. Rousseau knows what they are. It's it's interesting that that of the few people in the world who know about the numbers, one of them is Rousseau, and she's on the island. You know, um, yeah. 
So, um, and again, this is another like Rousseau and Hurley kind of connection, uh-huh. um, which is very cool. Um, so, um, you know, and, and again, I still in the back of my mind somewhere, I wonder if it wasn't, you know, the, the numbers wreaking total havoc on his regular life that would, you know, cause him to travel, needing the answers and, and, and eventually, you know, crash him on the island. Um, you know, again, it's 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 a potential loop. We don't really know. Um, we'll, we'll hopefully find out more about that um, in this last season. Um, the only other thing I, I, I wanted to throw out there as a as a um, a statement in the theory section is that you know both Hugo and Desmond seem to be seers after their island experience. Both of them leave with an ability they didn't seemingly arrive with. You know, and um, that that is of course uh, if you assume that Dave is actually a figment of his imagination. Mm-hmm. If Dave is real, then that, that theory is kind of shot. But if Dave is a figment of his imagination due to, you know, his eating disorder that he relates to his father, you know, and, and, and perhaps Dave could be a good stand-in for his father. You know, you, you had pointed out earlier, Matt, that, you know, right before his father leaves, he says, you know, live it up, you know, eat that. And right. then, you know, and then his father leaves him. So there's this guy that shows up that is his friend and that the, the friend that his father never was who tells him it's okay to eat. You know, like these are there are a lot of similarities between Dave and his father. So if if we can oh. if we can rule out Dave as um as uh, a real person that he's seeing and put him in the category of, you know, uh, a figment of imagination, then we can say that both he and Desmond leave the island with the ability to see that they didn't arrive with. You know, so the island has there's the, um they they leave with something they didn't they didn't have when they got there. So, um I also think it's, it makes perfect sense to me that, that Hugo would be the one to see people after they've died based on, you know, what we've uncovered so far as, as, as uh, an observant character, as what an observant character he is. Um, so that's it. That's all I've got. Wow. I, I just want to comment that I think I, you just put a whole new thought about the psychology of Hugo out there that I didn't even dawn on that I just love. And that is, that's where Dave comes from is that it, it's actually, it's his replacement for a father figure mm-hmm. that he doesn't have. I would have never, when you said that, that it just came to me. That makes perfect sense. Awesome thought. Yeah, cool. All right. You ready to check out in season two, see what Dave's up to on the island? <laughs> Let's check out season two. Season by season character highlights. talks with Jack about the numbers on the way back from the hatch, disappointed by Jack's response. He protests against using the numbers at the computer. Hugo has a dream about Jin saying everything will change in English. He's assigned the task of creating a food inventory and stresses over the problems his new position will cause. He brings Rose to the hatch. Because of a confrontation with Charlie about things, He tries to quit, but Locke seemingly talks him out of it. Instead, he gets unused dynamite and takes it to the hatch to blow up the food, but is stopped by Rose. He tells Jack the situation and comes up with a solution, a single feast for everyone, and Jack agrees. And that's from Man of Science, Man of Faith, Orientation, 
and everybody hates Hugo. Hugo suggests to Sun that Vincent may have ate her ring. He sits with her to watch Vincent and finds out about her own dog. He plays golf with Kate and Charlie. He attends Shannon's funeral. He meets and helps Libby set up a shelter. He relates to Jen and Son when Michael leaves to go look for Walt, and he and Charlie watch the hatch when Kate leaves. He asks Sawyer's opinion of the Taylors and hints at Libby in particular, and appears in one of Charlie's dreams. He gives Saeed a radio as a project to cheer Saeed up. After Saeed fixes it, he and Hugo hear a signal from a station playing Glenn Miller, and Hugo jokingly speculates it's not where it's from, but when. And that is from, and found, collision, what Kate did, the hunting party, fire plus water, and the long con. Hugo's hidden stash is discovered by Sawyer, and in payment for Sawyer's silence, he agrees to help Sawyer find the tree frog. He and Son catch each other in compromising positions. Him with food, her with the pregnancy test. He plays Texas Hold'em with Sawyer and Kate. Right after he reveals to Libby his stash and destroys it, he is upset by the fact that the pallet of food has come, and encounters his imaginary friend Dave on the island, which nearly leads to Hugo jumping off a cliff until talked down by Libby. After which they share a kiss. He also vaguely recognizes Libby from somewhere before, and that is from one of them, the whole truth, lockdown, and Dave. Hugo discusses his diet with Rose, then helps Bernard round up survivors to build an SOS sign on the beach. Hugo plans a date and takes Libby for a picnic, but they end up back where they started and with no wine or blankets. Libby offers to get the blankets while Hugo gets the wine from Bernard, where he is confronted by Frogert regarding Libby. Later, Hugo learns that Libby has been shot at the hatch from Kate and is with her when she dies, apologizing to her and taking the blame for what happened to her. He is enlisted by Michael to go after the others who did this to Libby as part of Michael's deception, and is captured by the others along with Kate, Jack, and Sawyer. He witnesses the hatch implosions of facts and is released by the others to relay a message not to come looking for Kate, Jack, and Sawyer. And that's from SOS, Two for the Road, Missing Pieces: The Adventures of Hurley and Frogert, Question Mark, Three Minutes, and Live Together, Die Alone. Season two highlights. You know, I, I think uh, this season relates a lot more. You know, Hugo had a, a much more comedic role, and he still has a comedic role. You know, throughout the whole series, but uh, season two kind of plays more on his personal side than anything else. You know, we get the the institution story, we get the story about how his friends kind of alienated him after he wins the lotto. Mm-hmm. You know, we find out more about how Hugo takes on that kind of thing upon himself and kind of blames himself for things uh, more so than than he probably should. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, 
it's it's even accentuated even further with with this whole thing with Libby. You know, he just meets her for the second time, even though he doesn't really realize it. You know, he get he gets his his self excited about it and everything, and he makes they make the date and everything, and it's because he forgets the blankets and 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 the wine that she ends up going back to the hatch, which is what gets her shot. And so he takes on that responsibility again himself. Uh, instead of, and even when she's dying and he's sitting there with her and he apologizes to her for, for getting the blankets and, and all of that, it's just so sad, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, uh, just it really makes you feel for the character. The the job of inventorying the food, you know, again, this is this whole thing about the the the, uh, the lotto, you know, it's like, well, if I give you a hundred thousand dollars and I give you a hundred thousand dollars and I got to give you a hundred thousand dollars or whatever, you know, the same way he was feeling about, you know, how his friends alienated him basically once they found out that he'd won the lottery, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, things don't can't stay the same, you know, even though Johnny promised him that he, that they would, things just can't, you know. And and even the way that he had to kind of hurry up and ask Starla out because, uh, and this is all in flashback when he's younger, but, uh, you know, he had to ask Starla out before anybody found out about the lottery just to see if she would go, if it wasn't about the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and those kind of things. But it, and now it, it, those kind of various situations, as with all of our characters, they, they, something from their past, some issues that they've had from their past, manifest themselves in some way on the island for our characters to deal with mm-hmm. you know to give our character a, a choice in order to to try and proceed in the right way or, or whatever that's going to change the core values of humanity the quote-unquote numbers and uh and so it, it's all just a, bit, a big test probably jacob of mib to see you know whether humanity can live up to its potential or not wow nice to see that there's some comical moments too, you know. Um, the the whole fight with Sawyer was that just that's, out. that's just hilarious. The way Sawyer's starting to crawl out of the tent, and he gets drunk back to under. Back in. Yeah, that's just <laughs> awesome. And and the way Jen is like just watching and kind of and and, and, and laughing at it, and then <laughs> Sun finally hits him and makes him go break it up, you know. And, you know, and he just kind of reluctantly you know, slowly goes over there and does so. I just think that, that that's just a hilarious moment. But there's still the whole thing that inspires that fight is is the fact that that Hugo asks Sawyer for Kronospan mm-hmm. and uh, Sawyer, you know, kind of gives him a, a jab, you know, for, for being crazy, which obviously strikes a, a point with, with Hugo, you know. Hugo's very... Hugo and Sawyer are both people who are these people who need people to perceive them a certain way. Hugo needs to be perceived by everybody as a sane person. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why he brings up, you know, that's why he does he's so outspoken and he's so uh, creative with what he does about, like, the golf course. Or in, in, he, he needs people he needs people to have faith in him because he has so little faith in himself. Whereas Sawyer is sitting on the outside and he needs people to hate him. Because he needs to hate himself because he hates the man who Sawyer is, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but they're both actually in the same space, just from two different perspectives, yeah. which is what creates, a, I think, again, that mutual respect for each other. 
Yeah, I think they define each other very, very nicely. Yeah, you know, and and even going through, you know, the only reason Hugo really goes along with with Sawyer for the the tree frog thing is to uh, protect his honor about the food, you know, about the food stash. And the only reason that Sawyer actually squishes that frog is to protect his honor as being a mean old son of a gun. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. You know, I hadn't really it, it, about there's that. There, there's lots of parallels that they, they they often demonstrate to each other. And and the funny thing is is how how that uh, this this proving of things it ends up becoming a kind of a paying it forward thing for the two of them later on in the series. And those are my thoughts for season two. What are your thoughts? Um, well, I, you know, we've we've touched on on Libby and and Hugo, and you know, we know that Hugo's the one asking after Libby as soon as they meet on the island when the when the Losties and the and the Tailies all end up finally getting back together. Um, and you know, we we get the impression that Hugo doesn't remember uh, Libby from the Institute. But does she remember him? We never, we never really get any any strong indications one way or another. You mm-hmm. know, we don't see that she clearly doesn't remember him. We don't see that she clearly hides remembering him because she does. It just yeah. seems kind of vague. Yeah, yeah. When, when she kind of, I, I always kind of got the impression that she she kind of played it off just a little bit as they're walking away from the cliff there. Uh huh. Um. Uh, you know that that uh, that she was kind of just avoiding the question. Uh huh. Um, but like you said, it, it, that's not a clear definition of of whether she remembers him or not. Yeah, it isn't. And 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 again, we just we, we can only speculate at, at this point. Um, I think that um, that the the scene you're talking about, Matt, is really. Um, um, I mean, first of all, it's just a great scene um, where Hugo's finally kind of confronting the fact that he's. He's having some problems um, recognizing the difference between reality and, and and illusion, and we've seen everyone on the island deal with this at some point. You know, this is this is when they're being tested, when they're being shown their past, and and having to somehow rectify what's happened before with where they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, so this is that scene for Hugo. It really gives us. Um, I mean, it, it's a really it's a it's a it's a very serious scene. We we get the. The impression that you know, um, you know, while while getting the the backstory uh, through the flashbacks that you know Dave is you know um, encouraging him to to eat, for example, that doesn't seem that damaging. It doesn't seem that you know, um, even though like we you know we find out Dave's not really there, mm-hmm. and that's scary to find out that he that he's seeing somebody who's not there. You know, the fact that Dave's not asking him to go out and kill people or do anything evil. He's telling him to eat. You know, right. to enjoy himself. You know, the things that he doesn't do. Right. Um, really. Um, but when he's at the edge of the cliff, you know, that's a whole different level all of a sudden of, of, of his psychology. You know, like that's the most serious we see his psychology get in any season. Mm-hmm. Where he's he's willing to jump off the edge of a cliff to see if, if reality is real or not. Right. You know, and if it is, he's going to die. And he and he's willing to take that chance just to figure it out because he's tired of wondering, you know. Yeah. He's tired of being lost in that way, like they're the way that they all are. Um, um, so I, I really, I mean, I think that's a huge that's a huge scene and a, and a huge window into um, some of the the more serious psychological problems 
that he that he's had. Um, and you know, a, a huge turning point when when Libby can get him to walk away from that cliff. He's he's a different person after that. You know, he's yeah. um, he's he's put away that worry about his psychology. You know, we don't see him have that again. It's true. You know, so um, so season two is you know we I think you're right. We get a lot of insight into him as a person and the tragedy behind, you know, some a lot of the things that he's dealt with. And we also see his psychological problems come to a head right there with Libby before she dies. Yeah, good point. Awesome. So you ready to hear my G Kino moment? You know I am, Matt. The G Kino moment. No, it's nothing. It's just something that I... You go listen to yourself. The numbers are cursed. You know there is no such thing as... And, of course, we do know that moment quite well. That's from the episode Numbers, and we know that theme, too. That's the theme that's kind of represents the numbers, at least as they pertain to Hugo, and it's also one of Hugo's main themes. That scene comes from when Hugo, of course, is with his accountant. And there's some things to note about the theme itself. First of all, the melody is only four notes. But there's some distinctness to that melody. And that is the first interval. And what I mean by interval is the distance between the two notes. The distance between the first note and the second note of the melody is what we call a tritone. Now, in Western music, there are 12 tones in our scale, a chromatic scale. And that consists of all of the notes within a single octave on any given instrument. What a tritone is, is exactly half the distance between a note and what would be its octave. So it's six half steps apart, as we call it. An example of this would be from C to F sharp or F-sharp to C, or E-flat to A. Those are both intervals of what we call a tritone. Now, the interval of a tritone tends to bring out a feeling of uneasiness. It can also bring out a feeling of comedy, and it's used in both cases here by G. Kino. We get that uneasiness about the mystery of the numbers, but at the same time, with the way the events are being played on the screen... The tritone also takes somewhat of a humorous tone to it. This is common in many forms of music. Uh, a lot of over-the-top comedies tend to use tritone-type melodies in their soundtracks. Let me play the theme, the four-note melody, for you on the piano, and listen to the first two notes, the distance between them, how they don't seem to really fit together. That's the uneasy feeling. And then Giacchino will use the way he accompanies to help accentuate the comedic feeling. But first, let's just play the melody on the piano. (laughs) 
Okay, so did you hear the difference between the first two notes, how they don't really seem to fit together too well? I mean, they work, but it's still, it's just kind of a little unsettled. Tritones are one of the big dissonances in Western music because a tritone typically doesn't incorporate into any type of scale that we're used to to create harmony. Now, the way G. Kino applies comedic principles to this melody is in his accompaniment and or the orchestration of that accompaniment. Oftentimes, with this melody, we get a staccato kind of accompaniment going along the chords, either in pizzicato strings or in some instrument that is emulating or is actually plucking strings to make them short, kind of a little sneaky kind of a little playful, and that's what gives it that comedic feel. There's another thing that Giacchino does, and that is he'll sometimes use glissando, which is another great comedic use of music by a lot of composers. Glissando is when you start on one note and you literally slide up to another note and you cover all of those little half-steps and everything else in between. In this next example, when we have Hugo taking his mom to her new house, you'll hear the glissando present underlying as part of the melody as well, which creates some of that comedic value. So let's listen to this clip from Numbers. Oh, crap. Hang on, Ma. i got to call 911. Yes, that's it. I broke my ankle. The phone, move away from what? the vehicle. Oh, no, 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 it's the house. This is the Do state. it now. Turn around. No such thing as curses, huh, Ma? You have the right to remain silent. If you give up that right, anything you say can and will be used against you. Okay, great. So I think that kind of demonstrates how that theme works. I'm going to play for you now a full realization of that theme, and this is from the season two soundtrack called World's Worst Landscaping. Love the orchestration, the way he uses the piano and everything in that. There are two other themes that are identified principally with Hurley. And I'm not going to 
explore them. I'm not going to break them down, but I do want to play them for you just so you know that these themes often go with Hurley. These two examples are both, again, from the Season 2 soundtrack. The first one is called Mess It All Up, which is more of Hurley's tragic side. It's the way he blames himself for many things, which he really shouldn't, but he does anyway. And the second one is one of my favorite G. Kino themes. It's very simple melody, but it's beautifully orchestrated. And that is in Hurley's Handouts, which is an absolutely fantastic piece when Hugo distributes the food from the hatch to everybody. So I hope you enjoy these clips, and that's the Giacchino moment for this week.
And let's go on to closing thoughts. Okay. Closing thoughts. And closing thoughts. Leslie, what are you thinking so far? Well, um, my mind hasn't been changed in any huge way about Hugo. Um, I, I think that, uh, I think that, you know, he's just, he's a really fun character to explore. He's, um, he's, he's very, you know, he, he is, he is a seer. I still see, I still see that in him the most. You know, he's, he's really, you know, he, he sees through to the middle of what's going on and, and he's a very laid back character that, um, is not laid back because he's, you know, it's just easy for him to lay back, but because he's, he really makes an effort to be laid back, you know, um, regardless of all the things that he deals with. So yeah. he's, he's a neat character to check out. Very cool. Yeah. I think our, uh, I think our three words are probably going to hold pretty true in throughout the course of, of, of the next episode as well. And looking through the seasons, uh, three through five, but, uh, I think that Hugo is probably one of the more rounded characters that that mm-hmm. we've explored, and 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 he is a joy to explore because you you with all of our other characters we've we've found picking points, you know, things that we hate a lot of them or things that we you know really dig about them or whatever. With Hugo, it's just it's all just love and and happiness. <laughs> it's all just Al Green song. That's great. <laughs> all right, uh, we want to. Have you uh, continue to submit your feedback to us if you wish. We will have a feedback section next week as well. And I suppose that's all we need to say until next week when we do Hugo Part 2. Stay lost. Keys to Lost is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all of your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com.